Hello, and welcome to Artistas in the Capital. My name is Norma Sorto, and I'm your host for Ola Cotura's brand new monthly podcast, featuring interviews with Latinx artists in the Washington area. Immigrants sacrifice a lot when they come to the United States, leaving behind family, friends, and tradition. Assimilating while at the same time keeping their roots intact is a challenge many face here. Then there's the high cost of living. D.C. is one of the priciest U.S. cities to live in, more than 50% higher than the national average. Gentrification has taken over almost half of the census tracts. Since D.C.'s Latino households, on average, earn a fifth less than white households, Latino families in our city have less money to spend on extras, such as going out to see a show or sending their children to after-school programs. In spite of these socioeconomic constraints, there are ways Latinos in D.C. connect to their communities. Our guest for this episode is someone building a space for Latino culture. We spoke with Alejandro Gongora, the founder and artistic director of Corazón Folklorico D.C., a nonprofit dance company showcasing Mexican ballet folklorico. Since the dance group's founding in 2017, it has gone through many challenges and successes. In the beginning, they struggled to secure rehearsal space and costumes. Now the classes have a wait list. Through his passion for dance and community, Alejandro has created a space for people from all socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds to freely express themselves through the power of dance. Here is our interview with Alejandro, conducted by Spell participant Olivia Dre, back in November of 2022. My name is Alejandro Gongora. I am originally from San Diego, California, and I live here now in Washington, D.C. I'm the founder and producing artistic director of Corazón Folklorico D.C., it's a nonprofit organization dedicated to provide classes and presentations on ballet folklorico. Thank you so much for having me. How did you become an artist? And can you briefly share what inspired you to get into ballet folklorico in the first place? I got into folklorico a little bit late, I would say. In high school, I had been exposed to a lot of presentations and performances growing up in San Diego. Southern California is just full of folklorical groups and performances for various reasons. As a kid, I would see folklorical after church, after church reception. I would see it for Cinco de Mayo festivities. I would see it at community parks and events. It was just something that was always present around me and always intrigued me for its movement, its music. The fact that my parents would get really excited and it was just so vivid and energetic. And in high school, I had the opportunity to join a free club in my high school. So I used that as an opportunity to do something I always wanted to try out and also meet other people. Becoming an artist, I think that took a little bit longer. I would say I'm still learning to be an artist. I have found my own voice, but I think there's always room to grow. And it was really in college that I was starting to get an opportunity as a director of my university group, Raices de Mi Tierra, UC Santa Barbara. 
And in that position, I started thinking about how I can share the dances that I've learned, but also integrate what I was learning in school. In my sociology major, I had a gender studies and Latin American studies emphasis. So I had a lot of themes that were being presented to me while in college, while I was teaching my group. So themes of gender, gender identity, gender expression, how we portray women in history, the stories of the other, immigration. There are so many things that I was exposed to. So that helped me become and shape my artistic voice. I was looking at your website and it looks like you've had like extensive mastery training. So through all that, what teacher or choreographer, if that's the right word, has been your greatest role model through all those trainings? Role model, teacher, inspiration. I think I could name a few different people. Most recently, I think Juan Carlos Gaitan from the University of Colima. He's been a true role model for me to look at how to teach and engage dancers and students. I think when the general public thinks of dance or dance class, you might think about Dance Moms. I think there's that TV show where (laughs) it's like dramatically intense and almost scary for the student to go through the class, not just to mention the instructor, but the people around you gets very disciplined and intense. Well, I did have a similar experience in classes like that, where I had teachers that would be really strong-voiced and disciplined. And Juan Carlos Gaitan, he showed me how to be an instructor that was very happy and positive and made students laugh and gave individual one-on-one attention. So something about his teaching methods made me inspired to be a happier instructor, a funny, dynamic instructor that wasn't so much focused about discipline, but engaging with my student in a way that they were excited and smiled along the way. Now for artistic expression, gosh, the daughter of Amalia Hernandez, Viviana Basante Hernandez, she's been one of my primary mentors teaching me about how to choreograph, about how to engage with the audience, how to storytell and be able to project a story and a feeling through dance. She is the daughter of Amalia Hernandez, the legacy. Amalia Hernandez takes a lot of the name and recognition for the Ballet Folklorico de Mexico. So there's a lot of legacy of information and artistic craft that I'm just a sponge to. So Viviana has been instrumental in my learning process, has helped me be true to my own voice, not to copy Amalia Hernandez or other groups but really listen to what I have to say about folklorico, what I have to say about Mexican identity and how I can convey that to my audience on stage. There's like a lot more depth there than I could have imagined. Like when I think like choreographer, I'm like, oh, they're probably just like really talented, but it sounds like it's something, you know, inspiring like passion and individuality. And I didn't see those layers. So that was kind of interesting. It just takes one movement. You don't have to do too much with a skirt or with sombreros. You could just lift one finger and command attention with that finger. And in that song, if you're talking about a female soldier that was involved in the Mexican Revolution, and if she were to raise her hand up and command the attention of the audience, she's telling the audience, I am important. I make a big difference. I have a purpose. And the attention goes to me. And if it wasn't for the women involved in the Mexican Revolution, I don't think the outcomes would have 
been the same. It was truly in part of the Adelitas, the female soldiers, that the agrarian, the farmers, the working class Mexican and primarily indigenous people were able to revolutionize and establish democracy from the previous dictatorship. What made you want to start Corazon Folklorico? There's a few different reasons. I think moving to D.C. to establish my career and my home base, I yearned for a big Mexican presence. Being from Southern California, I just missed a lot of elements such as seeing Mexican food everywhere or hearing Mexican music everywhere or having the opportunities to dance or see folklorico. And I found that there's very few groups in D.C., whether they were on the outskirts of D.C. or not really in D.C., they're in another state. Virginia, Maryland, D.C. kind of create this tri-state metro area. And living in the city, I really didn't want to commute more than an hour. <laughs> so geographic location kind of made a big difference in saying, I think I could create a group here locally where a lot of Latinos and a lot of people like me live. The second kind of incentive was creating Folklorico as a community, as like, this is my second family, my home away from home was really important. In high school, my mom and I faced homelessness for a few months. And that was due to my parents divorcing and the housing crisis in 2005, six, seven, and on. It was in my third year in high school, so I was applying to colleges, and this added stress was just, like, a lot. At that point, I was really close to my classmates that were in Folklorico, my dance friends, and it was with them that I confided, hey, my mom and I are going through this, so my friends let me stay with their family in their home. So Folklorico always meant a lot. It meant, like, wow, this is family when you really need them. These are the people that I can grow close to. And these are the people that I'm most vulnerable to when you are backstage and everyone is changing and you're running around. You almost have to act like one, like one family. Like, oh, let me help you with the zipper. Oh, I got you with the hairpin. Oh, your sombrero, it's all wrong. Let me fix it for you. So there's a lot of different family elements that I think are beautiful in Florico and in the dance community in general. Who was the team of people that supported you and helped you start Corazon Folklorico? Wow. Well, first and foremost, I think I wouldn't be here and the company wouldn't be here without the support from the dancers. I think the dancers have had a beautiful experience learning and getting the opportunity to perform. And they have been equally invested as I have. While I'm the choreographer and instructor, I have a team of dancers who have now become instructors as well. I have a team of dancers who do our social media. Some of them do fundraising. Some of them are really good at project plans. Some of them are really good at scheduling. So they make the organization live and breathe. And then the second party, I would say, are our two major supporters, the Embassy of Mexico Cultural Institute. When I had the idea to start the group, I went to them knowing that I would need their support and kind of like their recognition, saying that this is a new up-and-coming group, they share similar values, and they believed in me. They believed in what Corazon could be. 
So then plus the school where we rehearse, the Spanish Education Development Center, they've been big champions for our cause, helping us grow in our capacity, giving us space, giving us events to perform at, giving us opportunities to rehearse. Those have been the major players in developing the organization. What were some challenges you faced when starting it? I guess resources. I didn't really have much. I didn't even have costumes. I didn't have much to go off of. I had a lot of shawls. I had some skirts that I was able to find through a nice deal. It was like a bargain price for used skirts. That's it. I didn't have a studio. I still don't technically have a professional studio. And yeah, I mean, it was just, I invested what I could, even though I had just started my career, I didn't really have much, but I believed the community. I believed in the power of us as a team that we can fundraise together and make our dreams of performing come true. So the challenges of not having an actual studio space were difficult. The Mexican Cultural Institute started off giving us a space of an empty office room of an empty building and they allowed us to clean it up and they allowed us to use the space for a few months. It was just temporary until they had another embassy use that office. So when I couldn't use that space anymore, I was like, shoot, where am I going to go rehearse? We started rehearsing at some of our dancers' homes and their like building lounge We met at the public library and just reserved a study room. And then the Spanish Education Development Center, their bilingual continuing education and daycare center. So when we performed for Day of the Dead back in 2017, I realized they had a big institute, a big facility. And I said, hey, I'm in this situation where I don't have rehearsal space. I can perform for your students and your families when you have events but would you allow us to use the space on non-business hours? We all get out of work around six. We have weekends available. I think our hours work. So that was kind of a struggle to get us kind of off to a home base where we can just have rehearsal. After we just started building our repertoire, buying costumes for different regions. And now my challenges are very different. My challenges are, I have so many people wanting to sign up and take our class. Our enrollment has a wait list. I have like 80 people showing interest to sign up for this fall. I could only enroll 20. It was just ridiculous the amount of attention we're getting, of interest. So now I need to grow my team. I need to grow the organization so that I can have someone full-time managing the enrollment. I can have people teaching more classes. I don't have to teach everything, but I would love to see the organization continue to grow and prosper. Yeah, so the challenges are kind of like all over the place, but I guess like it just different challenges, I guess, at each stage, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's exciting that you guys are growing that much. I think we're getting support now. We'll be soon announcing how The Kennedy Center has now selected us for participation in the Culture Caucus. So that means it's a program that helps incubate artists and they're going to be providing some assistance and mentorship so that Corazón Folclorico can continue to grow successfully without facing those growing pains. And hopefully I'll have a studio one day. Hopefully we'll have employees (laughs) 
that run the adult class and the children's class. I will have a team of people sewing, fixing our costumes, but it's a whole production and so many people get involved to make it look successful. What kind of community does Corazon Folklorico strive to create? I had a team of eight. I think it was eight initial dancers that out of my group of 20 that signed up back in 2017, eight of them were like, yeah, let's fundraise. Yeah, let's build an organizational identity. Let's create this mission statement and objective. We were all having dinner and it was December 12th that we were starting to brainstorm all these ideas of what our identity was, what was it that we wanted to achieve our mission statement. We were writing words like community, passion, culture, teamwork, family. We had so many different words. And at the end of it, we were able to create a statement saying we're committed to building a community of passionate dancers through our ballet folklorico. So the fact that we have a wait list of people trying to be part of this dancer community, trying to be participating in our ballet folklorico means that we're getting to our mission, that we're building. A mission means that you're never done. It's something that you continue to achieve and strive. So I'm really happy that we're going there and we're succeeding at building our community. So December 12th, I'm not very religious, but I would say I'm a bit spiritual. December 12th is the day of the Virgin Mary. And after we were eating dinner, we look up behind us and on the wall is a picture of the Virgin Mary. I kid you not. I'm like, whoa, hey, y'all. As we were doing our brainstorm, the Virgin Mary was, <laughs> you know, blessing us with her presence through the portrait. <laughs> but a lot of those things just kind of felt just right. Like when we were all together brainstorming about our identity, building a community where anyone, no experience needed, can join the class for free and have this opportunity to learn how to dance, to learn about cultural identity, about this multiculturalism that we were promoting, classes bilingual, classes free. So I didn't want to make the class itself a challenge for anyone. I wanted to make sure that it was accessible for anyone, regardless of their socioeconomic household level, regardless of how fluent in English or Spanish they were, regardless if they ever had a dance class. I was a late bloomer, remember? And if it wasn't for my free high school folklorico club, I don't know how I would have faced homelessness. It would have been really tough. So it's just meant a lot to me to see that this organization grows. And in the nation's capital, where we should resemble the multicultures of this nation, we should promote more than one language as our spoken language, where anyone can participate in cultural education regardless of where their family is from or where their origins are from. I'm really happy to say that not everyone is Mexican in my group. Not everyone speaks Spanish. Not everyone speaks English. <laughs> so bilingualness is very important in our class. But there we are, building community and allowing each other a moment to express themselves and respect one another and share space together. I explored on your website a lot. There's a quote that says dance and culture should be equally accessible to all. Can you expand more on that idea? You know, my parents worked two jobs. They worked overtime night shifts 
it's not that they didn't want to allow me to dance or give me that opportunity. It's just that they couldn't. They didn't have time. They had to work more to pay the bills, to pay rent. So just factoring the fact that most dancers have to spend money to buy their dance outfits or buy their shoes. I just knew that if the person wanted to perform, if they wanted to learn dance, they would do anything to give themselves that opportunity. Why charge them to be there if they're already investing a lot in themselves to learn to dance, to do everything that you have to do to prepare for a performance? So accessibility, geographic accessibility, socioeconomic accessibility, being able to provide an opportunity to anyone regardless of their physical ability, the opportunity to learn. I still keep growing on that side. I have a student who is hard of hearing and she's joined the group and I'm learning as an instructor. She's teaching me, honestly, how to be a better teacher, how to convey what I want to convey in a different manner. I think there's a lot of things that we can learn, both the student and the teacher, from these experiences. When you put yourself outside of who you are and you have to help others, how can you be your better self? How can you become a better evolved version of yourself? And I hope I can do that through this beautiful experience of teaching. That's super profound. But what kind of legacy do you hope Corazon Folklorico creates? Man, I'm humbled to think that I could leave a legacy. I never really thought I was doing this to leave behind something. I'm still so young in this moment, and I hope to define that legacy in my coming years a little bit better. I think because we're still growing and seeing that the organization can live beyond my years, I hope whatever legacy it is, it's full of heart. We do things with a heart. We create community with a heart. Corazón Folclorico to me meant that, wow, there's going to be more than just dance involved in this organization. People were going to contribute something positive to the community. They were going to give back. They're going to volunteer. Not all our performances are, let's say, for like a paid event. Sometimes we perform for free. And I hope that legacy continues. I hope that we can find scholarships for students so that if they are pursuing a career in dance, maybe Corazon can help provide a scholarship to a student to go to a dance school to major in performing arts. I think Corazon has a very promising future and the legacy will definitely be more narrowly defined from that future. We're just so young and I hope everything that we do is lighthearted and with happiness. So I definitely expect that heart and compassion will be in its future forever. And I do hope to see Corazon continue to flourish and prosper. Thank you, Alejandro, for your interview with Hola Cortura. Join us next month when we speak with Dutiru co-founders Marie-Claire Vasquez Duran and Maria Victoria Abrejo Jugar, whose company is dedicated to passing on Latino culture through family games. For updates on episodes and Latinx events in the D.C. area, follow us on Instagram at DC. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Artistas in the Capital. To get involved in Latinx arts, culture, and humanities in D.C., sign up to join our SFO program and visit olocotura.com.